This week on Priority One, Star Trek Picard showrunner Michael Chabon answers some very specific questions about the show. Viacom CBS has big plans for the future of streaming. The 10th anniversary celebrations continue for Star Trek Online. And we review the third episode of Star Trek Picard, The End is the Beginning. Of course, before we wrap up the show, we'll open hailing frequencies for your incoming messages. RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. This episode of Priority One is brought to you by GamePrint. We thank them and our patrons for their support of Priority One Podcast. Command codes verified. Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on secure channel. Hello, Captains. You're listening to episode 448 of Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Your weekly report of all the major news happening in the Star Trek multiverse. This episode was recorded live on Tuesday, February 11th, 2020, and available for download or streaming on Friday, February 14th at PriorityOnePodcast.com. I'm Elijah. And I'm Kat. And we're all sending you a lot of love today. Except for Anthony, because he's not here this week. But filling in is our chief audio engineer extraordinaire, Skiffy. Hello. Thank you for having me. Skiffy, thank you for filling my heart with joy on this very amazing Valentine's Day. That was very flattering to me, but not to Anthony. Poor Anthony. (laughs) (laughs) Has the flu and you're like, aw. (laughs) Hey, Skiffy. Before we jump into the news, we want to invite you to join in on the weekly conversations, whether via social media platforms like facebook.com forward slash Priority One Podcast, on Twitter or Instagram at Priority One Pod, or by email to incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com. Now, Captains, this is the part of the show where we usually talk about our Patreon support page, a way that you can offer your financial contributions to the show to make sure that we can continue to produce it each and every week. Instead of that, there's a another way that you can help Priority One, and that's by joining the team. We're looking to add another talented audio editor to our crew. As you know, Priority One is in fact a community-produced podcast. None of us earn a dime from the production of this show, and that's no small endeavor. We're just all passionate Star Trek fans that enjoy producing this show and claiming our small corner of the Star Trek multiverse in podcast form and on the Roddenberry Podcast Network. So if you are interested in joining the team, reach out to us via email to incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com, hit us up on social media with a direct message, or use our Contact Us form on our website. Now, let's check out the latest news from the Star Trek multiverse. I don't know. Then let's check it out. 
Star Trek Picard writer Michael Chabon took to Instagram this week to respond to some of the more critical questions regarding the show's first episodes. A three-minute video posted by the Pulitzer Prize winning author begins simply, quote, You're a Star Trek fan watching Star Trek Picard. You have questions. End quote. Now we'll dive deeper into some of the content on this video later on during our on-screen segment and review of the third episode of Star Trek Picard, but let's consider a couple of highlights now. Fundamentally, Shaban's comments seem to reinforce the idea that most complaints from viewers are not, in fact, oversights, but are deliberate choices made in the writing. The author continued to engage with viewers who commented on the Instagram post itself. While many commenters on his post tried to convince Shaban to reveal story details, one of his replies sums up the reality, saying, quote, My friend, I would love to tell you everything that's coming and let you down early about everything that isn't, but you and I know that's just not how the game is played. I didn't invent the rules, and I'm not totally sure I even really understand them. I, for one, hate surprises, but there it is. Stay tuned, end quote. He also gave a simple reply to one viewer's disappointment with Picard, saying, quote, Sorry, it's not for you. We tried our best. Unfortunately, there's a lot of other shows out there. And of course, all of the early Trek series are still there waiting for you. End quote. Hmm. I like him. I think this is uh, what's nice about a show that is a weekly event is you end up with situations just like this. You end up with people that are willing to tease a little bit more, answer a few questions, but you still don't know what's coming. And that helps build up the next chapter of the story even more. Because we've all got our theories. We don't know where it's going. If this were dropped as a binge show, we would all have burned through it already. And probably a lot of our questions would be answered, but we'd lose that sense of community and sense of involvement week to week. So I think it's great that people do this, that, that Javon and others, hopefully others do this as well. I think it says a lot about him, right? As a content creator, he is in fact not just writing Star Trek Picard as a job, but as a fan. You know, for him to take time to create a three minute video for Instagram answering these questions is not something that we should just overlook or underappreciate. I think that everybody is entitled to their opinion about a show. Everyone. Whether you're critical of it or or not. There are ways of expressing your criticisms of a show. I've spoken about this time and time again, especially in defense of myself, because I am not a fan of Discovery. And I think that these first three episodes of Picard blow Discovery's two seasons out of the water in terms of pacing, writing, editing, music, even though it's the same composer, but for the most part. I can only imagine being a passionate fan like him receiving this criticism. And, and sometimes it's really hard to filter out the negative and remain focused on the positive. I hope that this experience doesn't push him away from Star Trek. And I hope that Michael Shabon has a folder in his email called feedback, like good feedback. And every time he gets a good piece of feedback, he moves it into that folder so that when he gets that one Star Trek critique of why do Romulans have sunglasses, he can go back to the positive feedback because Picard statistically seems to be a critically acclaimed show. Everybody loves it. It's gotten amazing reviews. So good for for him for being a proactive and being engaged with a community and creating a video like this. And for those of you that don't appreciate Picard, you know, just be careful in how you express your criticisms of Picard or of Discovery or whatnot. Offer constructive criticism. And for those of us who are trying to defend Star Trek, let's be careful with words like trolls or haters. Let's try to elevate the dialogue a little more. Okay. Here, here. Which leads us to our first community question. What did you think of Michael Shabon's video? 
did he answer your big questions? Did you guys get a chance to watch the video at all? Did yeah, you I watched it. I didn't guys... realize people had issues with the sunglasses. Really? That's a thing? <sighs> it never even occurred to me till I saw, <laughs> saw later. You, you just, you can't please everybody. And I, I think, um, Elijah, your points about, you said it a couple episodes ago that just because you don't like some Star Trek does not make you not a fan. Uh, you are still a right. fan just because you don't love everything. While you were uh, talking about that too, I pulled up uh, Picard and Rotten Tomatoes because I, I remembered the scores being fairly high and it's got a 91% from the critics tomato meter and a 73 from the audience score. Still strong numbers, but yeah, critically acclaimed is uh, probably the best way to put that. Well, Captains, if you want to answer our community question, be sure to reply on our website at Priority1Podcast.com and when we post it on our social media channels like Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Star Trek Discovery writer and producer Bo Young Kim sat down this week with local news channel Spectrum News in Southern California. Kim discussed her early life as the daughter of a diplomat growing up in cities all around the world, as well as the role of her Korean heritage in shaping the stories she tells. Having long questioned her own cultural identity, she says she now actively embraces her diversity as a source of creativity. She also wants to model that diversity for other writers, saying, quote, I think one of the reasons why I'm vocal on social media and I keep my Korean name as opposed to having a more anglicized name is because I want to show writers coming after me that you can write science fiction. You can write genre stories as a woman, as a person of color, as someone coming from an unusual background because this is the place to tell those kinds of stories, end quote. She also specifically credits the role diversity writing programs played in shaping her career. She found that these programs forced interactions and community building that helped her get her writing into the right hands. She says if she hadn't applied for those programs, she wouldn't be where she she is today about to become co-showrunner of the forthcoming Section 31 Star Trek series featuring Michelle Yeoh. I find this very admirable. So my birth name is Elio Edward Geo, a very Latino name, right? Or Spaniard, at least. It's Spaniard in origin. When I had been laid off from Best Buy, not fired, laid off during one of their reorganizations, I was applying for jobs all over the place and I was not getting calls. And I changed my name. I went from Elio to Edward and then just kept Leo. Leo seemed passable, I guess. And then I started to get phone calls and there was actually a study about how employers will often just skip over resumes because of their prejudices. You know, they see a, an ethnic name and they just pass it over for a more commonly American Anglo-Saxon name. So I applaud Boyan Kim for maintaining her heritage, maintaining who she is without sacrificing herself in any way, shape or form. Good on her. I've now since been a little more, I've even actually thought about dropping the whole Elijah thing and going by my, my real name because one of the reasons I switched, I used the stage name Elijah for the podcast was because it was a gaming podcast at first, you know, for Star Trek Online. And I wanted to kind of stick with the name that I have, you know, my gamer tag kind of thing, but also because, you know, it's not often that people can pronounce E-L-I-O correctly. So I just, figured I'll just go by Elijah and then that'll be it. But I've actually thought about or go, using my, my birth name instead of instead of Elijah for this exact reason. Good for her. You'll always be Eli Jomre to me. <laughs> <laughs> we will support whatever decision you would make. Thank you. Agreed. Thank you. Speaking of forthcoming Star Trek streaming shows, 
the newly merged media giant Viacom CBS has plans to roll out a new streaming service. The new offering will combine the assets of their existing services like CBS, All Access, Nickelodeon, MTV, BET, Comedy Central, and Paramount Pictures. The service is expected to be offered in both a premium ad-free version and a less expensive version with advertisements. CBS All Access joined the streaming landscape in October 2014, bringing us the new Star Trek shows Discovery and Picard, as well as Short Treks. The new combined streaming service will likely also be the home to Star Trek's previously announced animated show in partnership with Nickelodeon. The service will also offer the big screen Star Trek properties held by Paramount Pictures. There are no details yet on how existing CBS All Access subscribers might transition to the new service. Wow. I didn't see this one coming. I did not either. It is a smart move. It is in their best interest, but I didn't see this coming. Yeah, I was a little surprised by this, but man, I I hope they improve it because CBS All Access is not so great sometimes. Yeah, they they really need to build that up that infrastructure because on Thursday night East Coast time when people are coming home from work and they want to watch Picard, oh, there's some buffering that happens. Mm. There is some buffering that happens on CBS All Access. Yes, but even the controls are like you can't you know pick up where you left off. It's an awkward setup. There was a headline that I saw that came across my feed that I, I didn't get the opportunity of reading the article, but I, it, the headline kind of made me think twice. It was it said something along the lines of CBS All Access is both ahead of its time and late to the game. And I think with Star Trek, CBS tends to be that way, right? I think back on UPN and, and Enterprise and all these things. They trailblaze a little bit, but they're always a, just a few steps behind. Hopefully, if they merge all of these channels and assets into one big streaming service, I mean, you've got movies, you've got Comedy Central, Nickelodeon, All Access. I mean, that's that's a massive library. Mm-hmm. I think it'll be strange for them to maintain two separate streaming services. So I, I'm curious if All Access will just fold into this the way that... Um, what's the other one that's doing that right now? HBO. The way that HBO is building a second streaming platform, but they're just going to fold their existing subscribers into it. Or is CBS planning to actually maintain two ecosystems? CBS All Access is their premium offerings, and then they still have another streaming platform besides? Um mm. My personal opinion is the space is getting too crowded for them to try to pull that off. Yeah, I don't agree, know. I agree. But if it leads to lower prices, great. I don't think that will happen, unfortunately. I know, but that's like <laughs> the point of competition, right? The prices are supposed to go down. I mean, man, I should just get cable for all these streaming services I pay for. That's what it's adding up to, exactly, is the comparison yeah. between. And you've made that point before, Elijah. The comparison between yeah. if you wanted to subscribe to everything out there versus cable is they are uh, pretty equal at this point in terms of cost per month. And I think cord cutting is great in some regions of the United States and not as advantageous in others. But CBS All Access is just, the infrastructure is not there as it is. And like you said, Kat, the features are severely lacking, painfully lacking. And if they can build up the infrastructure for something like this, I mean, that's a lot of content. That's a lot of content to, to, to offer. Yeah. Well, Captains, that's all the news we have to check out this week. Now let's find out what happened in the world of Star Trek gaming. Captains, before we move on to Star Trek Online news, we do have something we want to share with you. And that is GamePrint, the company that allows you to 3D print your customized starship. 
from Star Trek Online. Captains, I know you're familiar with purchasing ship models from various locations, whether from back in the day to more recent die-cast models, but one very important thing differentiates game print from all those other companies. And that is the fact that you can customize your starship and pick one that is unique out of the entire Starfleet Armada. All you have to do is visit GamePrint.net and explore their amazing library of ships from players who have already uploaded theirs. And we're not talking just Federation ships. We're talking Klingon, Andorian, Romulan, even Borg are available to you through GamePrint. So you don't even have to play Star Trek Online to take advantage of this. You can already explore their library and then through their web interface, change the name of the ship to whatever you want it to be, change the registry, and it becomes your ship model. Now, if you're a player in Star Trek Online, you can go to your ship tailor and upload the very ship that you play with in Star Trek Online, which is a phenomenal piece of technology. Upload it, then print it. I don't know about you guys, but I'm kind of itching to see what that new KDF Starfleet Battlecruiser is going to look like 3D printed. That's interesting. Yeah, the Kittimer class. Is that what it yeah, is? Yeah, the Kittimer class. Yep. Does it come with, if you want your vanity shields on it, you can customize it that way too, yep, right? Yep. Shields, hull type, everything. That's amazing. The new one that I'm excited to see 3D printed is the modernized crossfield that was posted in Twitter today. Oh, the 25th century crossfield. Yeah, yeah it's that beautiful. looks so sleek. I think that would be an awesome 3D print. I agree. I agree. And you can even get the pink vanity shields if you want. Put it I on there love those. I know those are... I put those on every ship now. So the address to trek out is gameprint.net. And of course, we want to thank them for their support of Priority One Podcast. Computer status report. Status. Incoming message. I'm only in the mood for good news today. Star Trek has endured for almost 55 years. So to us, Trekkies and Trekkers, Star Trek Online celebrating its 10th anniversary seems like a small step towards what is sure to be a long tenure. However, in the gaming world, celebrating 10 years for a continuously running game is something of a small miracle. The gaming news media continues to showcase Cryptic's accomplishments. This week, GameIndustry.biz pointed out, quote, In a decade, when many licensed MMOs struggled and died, Cryptic Studios' voyage to the final frontier has survived, end quote. The interview with Star Trek Online's lead designer, Al, Captain Gecko Rivera, goes on to touch on all the reasons why Star Trek Online has thrived as an MMO. The main themes of the interview seemed to be planning and balancing. Whether that's having a plan for future story content and then pivoting to a new plan, or balancing the needs of the many, the vast audience of all MMO games, with the few, or the one collective of Star Trek fans who also play video games. One thing is certain, Rivera pointed out, quote, that doesn't mean we sacrifice story. Most of our missions could be episodes in the television show, end quote. For a link to the full article, be sure to check out the link in our show notes. I would love nothing more than to see some Star Trek Online uh, uh, missions become episodes. That would be awesome. I agree. I think 
Yes, that is an accurate quote, because I would watch any of those uh, episodes. Yeah, the article opens talking about these franchise-driven MMOs, um, including The Matrix Online. Drink! Oh, I didn't know that was a rule. Yeah, it's just, it's amazing how many have come and gone that have been these theme park MMOs that, that are catering to a very specific franchise or niche, and uh, they have since come and gone. And give us the Matrix Online source code. Drink. <laughs> are we supposed to drink again? In the meantime, congratulations, of course, to the entire team. It's it For an MMO to last 10 years uh, is is amazing. Star Trek Online is certainly doing something right, and so is Cryptic Studios. And no matter what, you'll have players like me logging in to experience those stories. And me. And me, because it's the only game I play. And my axe. <laughs> and my bow. <laughs> Once a captain gets that coveted promotion to Fleet Admiral, they are put in command of an entire fleet of their starships. Unfortunately, without a slew of ship docks or a massive dry dock, it's tough to claim all your sea store ships. Especially if you start a new character. That is, until this last week, players on both PC and console can now auto-claim their Admiralty cards by simply talking to the ship selection contact. Nearly all of your Admiralty cards will be added to your ship roster and ready for deployment. There's a short list of ships that were not able to be included in this system, so be sure to check out our show notes. You know what's interesting? I didn't realize how many Admiralty ships I had not claimed. Right? <laughs> oh my god. So, my ship rosters, like, tripled. Yes. Uh, so when I did this, I was like, whoa, where all look at all these ships. Holy holy moly. I did this. I've, I've been pretty meticulous about claiming them on my main, but I still got a few that I had missed, but it was my alts because I never use my alts, or rarely. And so I logged in and I got all the Romulan ships and all these, oh, it was crazy. It was like uh, Christmas come early. I know, it's, it was, this is the best quality of life improvement in so long. I mean, I know there's been a lot other quality of life, but this is amazing. It was such a pain to go get your Admiralty ships. This is awesome. I'm not gonna lie, I didn't even know this was a problem. Cause I very rarely participate in the Admiralty system. What? Uh, you get so yeah, much good stuff. So many, so much dilithium you get, um, especially if you're leveling a character, once you can unlock Admiralty at level 52, you, man, you can get to 65 with just like a couple days, like in a day, you don't even have to do anything else. Yeah, it, it's actually pretty insane how quickly you can level using Admiralty. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but if you're not if okay, so if you have to level, I guess, but I don't know, it just I I never saw I never saw a particular value of it. It just it felt like all right, another thing I got to Oh, launch. you can grind dilithium, you can get colonists and prisoners for your fleet projects. You can get you know, upgrade tokens. Yeah, oh yeah, the Romulan one if you get, you know, that completed, you get Romulan upgrades. Those are good. Let's put it this way. It's a well-loved system for a reason, but it, it is more geared to somebody that's going to log in every single day and kind of continue that grind. Yeah, and if you're trying to fill up your specialization points, I mean, just by using Admiralty, you get them so much faster. I guess I'll have to relook into doing it more often, at least. Yeah, I'm like, just for the dilithium. I mean, and you can get latinum if you run the Ferengi ones, too. I love Admiralty, except I hate doing it. <laughs> if only there was something to spend the latinum on. Other than piles of latinum. You know, speaking of quality of life improvements, I want to take a moment to ask a question. Why do I still have to beam up to my ship to then go into sector space? 
why can't I just go from the ground straight up into sector space from like Earth space dock or any other ground mission? Why do I have to do that extra click? I know that there are some maps that allow you to just beam straight up into sector space. There is one one social zone that allows you to just beam into sector. In every other instance, you've got to go from the ground to your ship and then into sector to, to travel. Starfleet Academy we, gives you the choice. Why? Why do we have that extra step after 10 years? Can we change that? Does that ruin immersion for people? Well, so there is one workaround, and this is not a fix. This is just a workaround. But you can uh, transwarp to the start of any mission. So if you keep that in mind and if you know where you're trying to go, you can teleport from anywhere to anywhere else in the map, basically. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that, you know, there are certainly workarounds, but it just be ni- it would be nice to just bypass orbit and go straight into sector space. I agree. Or to your or to your home planet. That would be cool too. Oh, meaning if you're an Andorian, you could go to uh, Andor? Well, I meant like ESC or, you know, Kronos or New Romulus Command. But like, you know how with the um, Omega thing, you transwarp straight to First City or ESD or wherever, you know. You can transwarp straight there and you don't have to beam down. So I like that. So why can't we have that all the time? It's funny because uh, I'm actually glad you bring that up because I, I feel there are events running frequently enough that I can always get back to ESD very easily using that button that exists in the uh, in the exit in the escape menu. So I use that all the time. The other thing, oh, don't talk to me about earning dilithium because I I wish I can get all the dilithium back that I spent buying Phoenix lockboxes, prize boxes, whatever you want to call them. I don't want to admit publicly how much I spent trying to get an epic token. Did I talk about this last week? I don't remember Yes, anymore. you did. On <laughs> After Hours or did I talk about it? Did I talk about it in After Hours or did I talk about it on the show? I don't know. I feel like you talked about it a lot, though. Yeah. All right, fine. Never mind. Never mind. Elijah, I've got to say, the thing I remember you commenting on is that Al has already talked to you about this. And so you're going you're gonna to incite a war with Al again. A Twitter storm. You know what? Bring it on, man. Bring it on. <laughs> I'm definitely not spending money on the bundle, that's for sure. Speaking of bundle. <laughs> I like I like that. Speaking of bundle, the final four starships have been revealed in the 10th anniversary Legendary Ship Bundle, which is now on sale in the Sea Store. The Temporal Operative Science Vessel, the Miracle Worker Multi-Mission Science Vessel, the Temporal Flight Deck Carrier, and the Miracle Worker Light Cruiser. These are the Discovery, the Voyager, the Discovery Era Enterprise, and the TOS Enterprise, respectively. These ships, of course, come with all new stats and layouts, all previously associated consoles, mastery abilities, and traits, along with one new account unlock trait per ship and an exclusive visual variant. The TOS Enterprise features the Phase 2 concept variant. The Disco Enterprise features a John Eves concept version. The Voyager comes with the Warship Voyager skin, as seen in the episode Living Witness. And the Discovery comes with a spectacular 25th century version of the Crossfield class. Check out the show notes for all the Starship details and a link to Star Trek Online ship concept artist Hector Ortiz's Twitter post sharing the concept art for the 25th century Discovery ship. Hector Ortiz is an artist, man. I love his concept art. It's just, it's beautiful. It it brings a tear to my eye. It's just gorgeous, the things that he does. They're just so sleek. They're just so sleek. And he just knows how to color it and light it. It's just gorgeous, gorgeous work that he does. And I'm not going to lie, that Crossfield class looks, looks pretty wicked and I wouldn't mind getting my hands on it and I probably would spend the zen to buy the ship by itself alas we cannot yet 
I don't have any insider information. I just think that they're going to um, open those up someday. Well, if you listen to episode 447 of Priority One featuring Star Trek Online's community manager, Ambassador Kel, I've kind of heard this rhetoric from them before, like, oh, it'll come, you know, soon TBD kind of thing. This really sounds to me like they're just not going to do it or it'll be a long while before they do release them individually. Yeah, it'll be a long while before they get my money for those then because I cannot afford that pack. It's crazy expensive. Uh, Did you guys have any comments about the designs? Because I thought that 25th Century Discovery ship was amazing. They're beautiful. Yeah, isn't that the Crossfield? Yeah, yeah, the Crossfield. Yeah, It's gorgeous. gorgeous. I like it better than the actual Discovery. I have a mirror Discovery, but I haven't opened yet. But that 25th Century one is, oh man, it is very nice looking ship. Ambassador Kale wasn't lying to us last week when he said more giveaways were coming. Several websites are giving away gold, silver, and bronze prize packs. The gold prizes include a T6 Valiant Escort, T6 Andromeda Cruiser, a T6 Pathfinder Science Vessel, two ship slots, one Cation Bridge Officer, a Starfleet Racing Uniform, a Pet Exocomp, and three in-game titles, Voyager, Seeker, and Pathfinder, along with a real-life limited-edition Star Trek Online Anniversary Badge. Silver prize winners that get a T6 Europa-class heavy battlecruiser and bronze prize winners receive a Federation Elite Starter Pack. For links to these websites and instructions on how to enter to get any of these items, check out the show notes. Console captains now have their third and final opportunity to gain campaign progress towards the free Tier 6 ship coupon. The Borg Resurgence event has arrived for Xbox One and PlayStation 4 players. Completing any of the newly remastered Borg TFOs daily 14 times will reward you with the usual feature TFO rewards and the Cyclic Modulation Ground Weaponry Pack. Remember, these cycling weapons are great for completing ground energy type endeavors. As always, the Zen Buyout option is also available and will also grant campaign progress for the prorated amount. This event runs from now until March 5th. Hold on a second. How do the cycling weapons work? Can you choose what you want to fire or it just does it automatically? No, you cycle through, like, it'll start with phaser and then go to disruptor, then plasma. So each time you cycle through, it'll switch energy types. Ah, that is a good idea for the ground. Yeah, so if your endeavor is, you know, plasma, just cycle through to plasma and use that for your, you know, ground mission. But you cannot stay plasma. It'll keep cycling. No, no, you have to manually click it to cycle to the next oh. energy type. So you can stay on plasma as much, as much as you want. The point is that when you fight Borg, you can cycle each time you fire. That way they can't adapt to you. Or as Kale said last week, just use a sword. <laughs> Those swords are awesome. Or the throwing knives, which I adore. Well, why don't we talk a little bit about upcoming events in Star Trek Online. Captains on PC can participate in a bonus marks weekend from now until Monday, February 17th, then a junior officer weekend from February 20th to the 24th. This is followed by a Borg Red Alert weekend starting on February 27th. Along with the Borg Resurgence event, console captains can also earn bonus marks this weekend, and then from February 20th to the 24th, they can participate in a bonus experience weekend. Well, that's it for this week in gaming news. Now let's look on screen for the third episode of Star Trek Picard. On screen. Computer. Set Star Trek Picard. Episode 3, The End is the Beginning. On screen. This week, we open 14 years in the past, shortly after the synth attack on Mars. We're at Starfleet headquarters and Jean-Luc, or... JL, as Rafi calls him, 
has just resigned his commission in protest to the sudden withdrawal of support for the Romulan evacuation. Post-opening title sequence, we're back at Vasquez Rocks, where Jean-Luc explains his mission to a reluctant and reclusive Rafi. She's been through hell and back, now relying on old vices as a crutch to help dull the pain. Despite her anger towards him, she sets Picard up with a pilot. Back on the Borg cube, Soji's compassion and curiosity leads her path to cross with that of liberated Borg and the project's executive director, Hugh. He indulges her quest to learn more about the recently liberated Romulans. Why has their reacclimation been so difficult? Back at the Daystrom Institute in Okinawa, Commodore O pays Dr. Gerardi a visit. As he packs up to embark on his new quest, Picard is suddenly attacked by the Black Ops division of the Tal Shiar, the Jat Bash. Thankfully, Laris and Javan know Romulan foo and swiftly dispatch the intruders, except for one. That guy dies at the hands of Dr. Gerardi, who is determined to join Picard. Transport to Captain Rios' ship. Cue obligatory catchphrase with sweeping familiar musical themes and credits. All right. This was a jam-packed episode. I'm having a hard time understanding people's people suggesting that, that the pacing is slow. There is always something happening. And I think that Picard handles exposition very well. The show, not the character. The show is handling exposition way better, in my opinion, than Discovery did. The exposition is not like, hey, dum-dum, this is how things used to be. The exposition is part of the story. It's part of moving the plot forward. I really, really hope that Rios, his character as a Latino, is not homogenized. Look, is he Argentinian? Is he Venezuelan? Is he Cuban? Is he Spaniard? What is he? What is, like, wh- where is he from? I think that homogenizing him to be this every Latino, I think would be a real disservice to the Latino community and that representation because we're not all the same. We may share a common language, but even the language is often different between a Cuban and a Dominican and we're practically neighbors. Same with Puerto Ricans. Each culture is very unique. So I hope that they establish some culturally accurate things to wherever his character is supposed to come from. I liked him. I liked this episode a lot. Um, I like I like Rafi. Of course, I think she could get away with calling him JL just because that's her attitude. I love what she says to Dr. Gerardi. Lady, who are you? <laughs> you know, I actually had a problem with her calling him JL when they were in uniform when he was still an admiral. I understand that they're trying to establish that these guys were close, uh, that they were close and that they had a, a relationship that was not just based in Starfleet uh, and that there was an actual genuine friendship there. I still think that would be, uh, in today's world, that would be extremely disrespectful. I raised my eyebrow when that happened and went, uh, really? They're standing on, on the grounds of Starfleet and she's calling him JL in the public, in the open, uh, with other officers around. I have less of a problem with that. I think that Picard, when she first calls him, that was 14 years ago. He's supposed to be 90-something in Picard. That puts him at early 80s, right? I have found that as I've grown older and my mentors have grown older with me, that when a mentor becomes a friend, the dynamic changes, right? So I, I no longer refer to them as Mr. or Mrs. So-and-so or Miss So-and-so. We, be, we get on a first-name basis. My problem is just J and L. They just, it doesn't, it doesn't ring well. Because we've heard people call him by his name, Jean-Luc. Riker's done it. Guinan has done it. I would expect Guinan, for instance, to call him by some kind of nickname. I just have a problem with JL. They just don't play well together. They're just very harsh letters. It's like nails on a chalkboard to me. Speaking of the relationship between Rafi and JL. (laughs) Pick up the Last Best Hope novel. 
I just started doing the audiobook this morning. I'm halfway through chapter two, I think. And there's a, quite a bit of backstory between the two of them, even already in just what I've been listening to. They explain in the novel, Una McCormick, I believe is the author, how they met, what brought her in. There's even things about her that we still haven't learned about yet in Picard, if we will. Maybe it's just going to be in the novel and we don't hear anything about it, so no spoilers. But I strongly advise that, that if you can, pick up the audiobook or pick up the novel, give it a read, and let us know what you think when you're done. You know, maybe this is a good opportunity to talk a little bit about some of the hyper-criticism coming from more orthodox Trek fans who not only know episode names and titles, but know the mid down to the minute when a scene happened from a previous series. There were a few things, right? There were people saying, why is, why is Commander O wearing sunglasses? Why is everybody so cavalier with Picard? And Michael Shabon in that Instagram video goes kind of hit for hit on these topics and on the, on these points regarding this third episode. It seems that this third episode ruffled some feathers, and one of them being the, the, the sunglasses with Commander O. Now, I don't really care. Obviously, it's a setup that she's wearing sunglasses for a reason, differentiating her from Vulcans who have some kind of eyelid, third eyelid that protects them from the hot rays of their Vulcan sun. Something, something, something. Trek, 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 trek. I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. But it sets up that she's wearing sunglasses for a reason, according to Michael Shabon. It should inform the viewer that she's not a typical Vulcan, if Vulcan at all. I am going to speculate not just that she is Romulan, because I see, I feel like that's a given, but that she is from the mirror universe and is sensitive to light. Ooh, that's interesting. I like the theory. I'm going to go that far. I mean, I saw she had sunglasses on, but it didn't bother me. Just like JL didn't bother me. It seemed like that was a term of that they were really close. It's supposed to reiterate that they're super close so she can call him JL even if no one else does. I honestly don't think they'll go the, uh, the alternate universe route. But, at least in season one. But I, I do like the idea. <laughs> I think that would be neat. Now, one of the other things that was criticized from uh, this episode was about the discussion about the Jadvash and how they are they are adamantly opposed. Romulan culture is just adamantly opposed to creation of artificial intelligence in any way, shape, or form. To which Kenai Trekkie said, well, wait a minute. There are, in fact, Romulan cyberneticists. Because in, in the TNG episode, the Romulan defector says, oh, there, you know, there are several Romulan cyberneticists who would love to get, you know, their hands on you. And Data goes, I would prefer not to. And Shabon compares Romulan cyberneticists to Nazi doctors. The tests that they did during World War II, I mean, that, and I think that's a fair assumption that they're not really looking to help humanity in any way, but in fact, exploit it. I think that's a really good analogy and defense to, to well, Romulan cyberneticists. You know what else I loved about this show uh, is Hugh. He was fantastic. Yeah. Uh, if for those of you that are unfamiliar, Hugh is in fact a recurring character in the Star Trek mythos. Uh, check out the episode Iborg uh, from TNG. That is the first time we're introduced to him, and then he comes back again later. So be sure to check that out. At the very least, start with Iborg. By the way, I totally did not know that was Hugh on the first watch through. Really? Yeah. Wow, because his voice is the same. And I loved Soji interacting with, um, I can't remember her name, but the Romulan woman, the mythology expert woman, and how she gets to talk to her. I thought that was a really cool scene. All in all, I, I like this episode, but my highlight, and yes, it was absolute fan service, but my highlight was the last 10 seconds of the show. Well, Captains, we want to know what you think. 
what were your thoughts on the third episode of Star Trek Picard? Of course, share your comments with us on our social media posts for this episode or by visiting us over at PriorityOnePodcast.com. That wraps up this week's On Screen for Star Trek Picard. Now, let's open hailing frequencies and see what's incoming. Message coming in, sir. Hailing frequencies. Open. See, we are getting to know each other. Well, Captains, hailing frequencies are now open, and we're ready to receive all of your incoming messages. Our first community question for the week was, what excited you most from our discussions about Star Trek Online with Ambassador Kale? From Facebook, Dan Canescu writes in, I was encouraged to hear that Cryptic is thinking about making bundles aimed at more tenured players. The sticker price on the Legendary Bundle is not something I can swing. But I want to support the game, especially the inclusion of Sea Store versions of ships formerly made of pure unobtainium. I couldn't agree more. On Twitter, Hippie John says, I wanted to see you press a little about the legendary ship pack question. I really like Ambassador Kel, but right now everything he has to say about it sounds like the company line. It's a great price for what is offered, but still so many questions to ask why. You know, Hippie, there's always the opportunity for us to try to press more and more and more. Um, but when it comes down to it, it's a PR thing. You know, they, they're not, you know, they're not at liberty to, to add more to the conversation. We had that discussion prior to, to the interview about, you know, talking about the legendary ship pack. And I didn't want to not talk about it, but I also wasn't going to be like, well, why don't you do this? And why don't you do that? And how dare you not, you know, push these things, which I feel like sometimes over the course of our eight years of podcasting, um, some of the player base expects us to do that. Uh, and that's just not how it works. You know, it's just not how the interview process is. And on top of that, we're not journalists and you know, it's not, it's not something that we can or are willing to try to argue with them about. Uh, we want to always have an open door policy with cryptic studios and make them feel like they're welcome. But that doesn't mean I have no problem saying to them, you know, in one way, shape or form, okay, this is not getting good player feedback. What can you say about it? Sometimes we just don't like their answers and it's, yeah, it's a company line and that's certainly what's gonna happen. The thing about pressing, if you if you follow other news organizations that do that kind of stuff, it doesn't get them any answers. Uh, it, it just sullies their reputation and uh, burns bridges. And so there's, there's no upside. Look at the that. first episode of Picard. He walked out of the interview and we don't want that happening. He walked out of the interview after an Elijah-style rant. <laughs> Our second community question for the week was, what are your thoughts on Star Trek Picard's latest episodes? From Facebook, Ron Kinney writes in, I like Picard, but I wish the pace would pick up some steam. Hopefully we've got enough of the backstory and can get on with the Borg-Romulan-Android storyline. I don't understand the pacing thing. I'm kind of curious. You know, I'm curious. I, I kind of want to do a poll, like which one thus far are you enjoying more, Picard or Discovery? A little curious to see what what the consensus is on that. I have to think that's Picard by a landslide, but that, I guess my own bias is is affecting that. I I do feel the pacing is off uh, a bit. I I can't say that it's too slow. I also can't say that it's fast because it, it's not. It, it's a slow burn. Uh, you're right about exposition being built into the story, and that can feel like it's dragging sometimes. But there are some scenes that I think didn't need to be put in there, didn't need to exist. It could have could have skipped entirely. That didn't really drive the story forward. The thing about the pacing for me though is it's it's just odd. It doesn't feel stable. Like it, it feels like you're revving on the accelerator at full speed and then you're slowing back down for a bit and you're revving at the accelerator at full speed. It, it's just, it doesn't feel fluid. 
From PriorityOnePodcast.com, Tyler Maxwell writes, Yes, making up a whole new Romulan secret group, the Jotvash, within the already very secret Tal Shiar sounds redundant and unoriginal on the surface. On the other hand, we've seen most of the Tal Shiar's evil tricks already. There's no mystery or reason to be too invested in that conflict. Picard has beaten the Tal Shiar before and he'd obviously do it again. So I'm not necessarily against this weird, previously unknown, millennia-old Romulan Illuminati group popping up to be the antagonist for Star Trek Picard. It does feel like they've invented a new bad guy for the sake of inventing a new bad guy. That I do agree. That I do agree the secret with. organization did not need another secret organization. Yeah, I felt that way too. I was like the double secret Tal Shiar. <laughs> you know, you know who I kind of I was thinking would might have worked a little better than introducing a new character like Rafi would have been um, Ensign Rowe. That would have been awesome. I loved Ensign Rowe. I would have. I and I actually didn't like Ensign Rowe. She's one of my least favorite characters on TNG, and I usually skip her episodes. Um, but that dynamic I could see evolving over the years to the point where she starts calling him something like JL or whatever. Um, you know, the drug abuse, the theme of drug abuse and, and crutches and, and and dulling the pain in an unhealthy manner. I could see Ensign Rowe kind of slipping down into that, that cycle a little bit. Um, Do we assume that Ensign Rowe has been killed? Because there's an know. episode in Voyager where they talk about the fate of the Maquis and they've all but been wiped out. Oh, that's oh, right. Yeah, I just watched that episode. Me me too. I'm not sure. Yeah, I guess they were. Cairo in the chat says that yeah, all the Maquis, she joined the Maquis and the and they were wiped out by the Dominion. I mean, it, it's well never expressly said what happened to her. Right. I think there's an assumption. Miko writes in on our website. So far, I am enjoying the Picard thrill ride. Watching Mr. Stewart get back into the role as if he never left it is amazing. I can't wait to see this show continue as the story arc thus far has my attention. I want to know more about the betrayal inside the Federation. Super stoked. Hashtag Team Picard. And a big shout out again to Choyumiku who has been absent from our website and commenting for a while. And we're glad to see you back. From Facebook, Ed O'Connell writes... So far, Picard has been enjoyable. The latest episode has left a bit of a disconnect with me concerning the ex-Borg Romulans. Voyager did show us assimilated and freed Romulan Borg. The doctor who treated Chakotay by connecting him to the micro-collective was Romulan. But I am liking the total show and characters. Well, that wraps up episode 448 of Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Now, if you are eager to get even more Star Trek discussions streamed into your ear holes then be sure to check out all the other shows on the roddenberry podcast network just visit podcasts.roddenberry.com for a complete list or just do a search for roddenberry in whatever podcast app you enjoy most because we've created one large master feed but we can't forget to send a special thanks to some of our patreon supporters like diana gunther darnell Dwayne ross david k rutley Joshua Selig and Peter Archibald. And here's a reminder of our community questions for this week. Up first, what did you think of Michael Shabon's companion video on his Instagram account? Did he answer your burning questions? Also, what did you think of the third episode of Star Trek Picard? Captains, it's important to us that you get your voice heard and participate in the conversation. Leave us a comment on our website at PriorityOnePodcast.com on our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash Priority One Podcast, or find us on Twitter and Instagram at Priority One Pod. Don't miss a thing from the Star Trek multiverse. Catch our episodes every Friday. Like I mentioned earlier, just open your favorite podcast app and do a search for Roddenberry. 
There you'll find us and all of our friends on the Roddenberry Podcast Network. And if you're still craving more, be sure to spend time with Admiral Winters and me and the rest of the Priority One Armada. Saturday nights, the Armada broadcasts live to review some of the latest news from Star Trek Online and the Armada community, including spotlighting some of our amazing members. With regular giveaways, there's something for all Star Trek Online players, whether you are new or a veteran. Follow us on all our social media accounts for broadcast times, and if you'd like to join the Armada, visit PriorityOneArmada.com. This episode of Priority One is brought to you by GamePrint and our community patrons through Patreon.com. Find out more and add your support at Patreon.com forward slash Priority One. Now, even if you cannot make a financial contribution, there is another way you can support the show, and that's by spreading the word about our episodes. Whenever you see us post it, be sure to share it. Let your fellow Trekkies know that they can get their weekly news roundup of Star Trek right here on Priority One. Don't forget to tune in to Priority One Productions' Guard Frequency podcast at GuardFrequency.com. Each episode, the Guard will take you inside the universe of your favorite space sims, including a tabletop adventure played out by your hosts. And Heroes Rise brings you up to date with the world of Dungeons & Dragons. Learn all about the latest publications, tools, tips, tricks, and traps in less time than it takes to skin a wyvern. Head over to HeroesRisePodcast.com to discover their secrets. Well, a big thanks to Skiffy for filling in for Anthony this week. Thanks for stopping by and joining us on this episode. Happy to be here. Thank you. Thanks to our audio editors, including Gray, William, Brandon, Rand, Daniel, Roscoe, and Chief Engineer Skiffy. Thanks to our producer, Jake Morgan, for assisting in the weekly production of this podcast. To associate producer Shane Hoover for helping us organize and write up our summary of the weekly headlines from the Star Trek multiverse. Thanks to our graphic artist, Henry Pomper, with support from Jason Smith of the Priority One Armada. Thanks to the composer of our theme music, Chris Watts. But most importantly, a big thanks to you, the Star Trek community, our listeners. Because without your ongoing support, none of this would be possible. Enemy ship on sensors. Red alert. Su. No. Engage. Well, that's it for this week in gaming news. Now, <laughs> I had one line. <clears throat> Don't forget to tune in to Priority One Productions Guard Frequency podcast at guardfrequency.com. Each episode, the guard will take you inside the universe of your favorite space sims, including a tabletop adventure played out by your hosts. And Heroes Rise brings you up to date with the world of. <laughs> Darn it! <laughs> I took the headphones off, but then you sang louder. <laughs> I know, I saw you, which is why I sang (laughs) louder. Podcast.roddenberry.com The Roddenberry Podcast Network.